1: And welcome to Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders for the next hour are Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, a MAGA meltdown. Big cap tech stocks falling hard in today's sell-off. We'll find out what fueled the tech wreck, plus more on the historic collapse in oil prices. Hedge fund legend Mike Novogratz will be with us, where he is finding big opportunity in this crude crash. And later, beyond incredible. We'll tell you what sent shares of Beyond Meat soaring today. But we kick things off with a flood of earnings hitting the street. Netflix, Chipotle, Snap, Texas Instruments, all on the move after reporting results. We kick things off with Netflix. Julia Borson's in Los Angeles with the very latest. Julia, very volatile in the after hour session.
2: That's right. Huge spike and then giving up a lot of those gains. Melissa, great to have you back. Netflix adding 15.7 million subscribers in the quarter. That's about double What analysts expected, the company also forecasting the addition of seven and a half million subscribers in the second quarter. That's more than three million more than analysts predictions for that. Now, CEO Reed Hastings saying that there are three main effects of coronavirus. In addition to subscriber growth temporarily accelerating due to home confinement, he says that international revenue will be lower than previously forecast due to the dollar's sharp rise. And he also says due to production shutdowns, some spending on content will be delayed. Hastings also says he expects viewing to decline and subscriber growth to decelerate as home confinement ends. And as for the impact of production shutdowns, Netflix does expect some delays by about a quarter, but they do expect second quarter content to be only modestly impacted. Hastings saying in his letter to shareholders, quote, since we have a large library with thousands of titles for viewing and very strong recommendations, our member satisfaction may be less impacted than our peers by a shortage of new content. Now, Melissa, Netflix, of course, is hosting its quarterly video call, and that will start at 6 p.m.
1: Eastern. Back over to you. All right, Julia. Thank you, Julia Boorstin. Um Let's trade this. Dan Nathan, I go to you first because they made a lot of interesting comments about who might sign up after this confinement period and who might not, and also about liquidity, which has always been a major concern for, for Netflix shareholders.
3: Yeah, so I just want to actually make one point, too, here. You know, for all the people who are sitting there telling you don't pay attention to earnings, Q1 earnings is not important. Q1 earnings is very important. The commentary is very important. It's going to give you a guidepost for how these companies perform for the rest of the year. And the sentiment as far as the commentary, despite limited visibility, very important. That being said, here's a company that had very high expectations coming in. The stock was up 30% on the year or so. Um, That subscriber number was fantastic. Reed Hastings, not afraid to tell you the truth that things will decelerate subscribers were already decelerating prior to this pandemic so then the other question that you have is the negative free cash flow spend that they've had to, to obtain and create content. That is going to continue. And you got to remember, the story about Netflix into coming into this year was the competitive situation and that spend on content. So why did the stock fade in after hours? Because it was as good as it gets for 2020 for this company. An unforeseen thing that's affecting most of their competitors adversely is helping them out, and it's probably a downhill battle from here for them. So to me, I think the stock in the 450 level is probably still a sale.
1: I mean, going into this quarter, Guy, a lot of analysts were already expecting some sort of pull forward in terms of signups, and, and Netflix actually addressed that directly um, so far in the commentary, saying that people in confinement, if they have not signed up during confinement, they're not likely to join after. Which tells, which is a signal to me, at least, that it, it's almost as good as it gets when it comes to getting new people to sign up because of this confinement. They had this experience with Netflix, and if they're not going to sign up now they're just not gonna
4: sign up ever you can make that argument you know dan nathan said it you said it a good jack nicholson diane keaton movie if you recall and i'll play devil's advocate here i mean i think it's a fine quarter i mean it the the knock on netflix has been every quarter people saying it's as good as it gets and it just keeps getting better and i saw this tiger man tiger king and that thing was ridiculous and people were signing up in droves so I can understand why you'd want to take profits in the name, especially given what the broader market did today. I would trade it the following way. I would buy it again against that old high. I think it was July of 2018, $419. I would be concerned on a close below 385. Uh, otherwise, I think you stay with the, with the name. One thing I would be worried about was, and this is a Tim Seymour thing, and I'll let you tell everybody what it means, but the ARPU numbers were disappointing. That's the one thing out of this quarter that would um, give me some pause, but the net ads were ridiculously strong.
1: ARPU Q. Tim.
5: I, look, I'm not losing sleep over ARPU, but thank you for queuing that guy. I, I'm losing sleep over the valuation. And, and so what I worry about here is that there's a lot of things that may or may not change in terms of consumer preferences and lifestyle after COVID-19 settles down. Uh, one thing that's not going to change is the competitive landscape. I mean, uh, HBO Max goes, goes live May 27th. There may actually be uh, some offering uh, to AT&T subscribers that that's actually free. Uh, I look at Netflix, and whether it's as good as it gets, as now has been said, or, or, or just where they have ability to improve on these comps, uh, I struggle with their ability to raise prices anytime soon. Netflix had the ability to raise prices uh, two years ago. We were surprised by that. It was a driver for the stock. Um, but high multiple stocks in a consumer environment that I think we're going to find ourselves in, uh, I think we've proven with Netflix at times that's been a liability. So uh, the free cash flow burn is still an issue. I know they say they're going to be around a billion in 2020, 20, which is going to be down from $2.6 billion last year. Uh, the debt levels are material. Uh, I'm not saying it's you know, something that's going to be an issue near term. But I, I think this company has to make money uh, or has to generate free cash flow. The multiple makes no sense, uh, especially in the competitive landscape. Or you need to give that multiple to a lot of other companies in the same space.
1: I think the price increases, I mean, that, that's important. If you're going to be looking at a subscriber base, I mean, internationally is one thing because that's where the growth is expected to be. And right now the dollar is an issue there. But in the U.S. and Canada, if the subscriber base is going to be somewhat stable, not growing terribly fast, material price increases or any price increase is going to be the way for Netflix to make up some money that they need to spend on content, Karen. So a question for you. During confinement, has Netflix, Netflix become more valuable to you or less valuable to you or the same?
6: It has become more valuable to me, but I, I agree with you. I think this issue of their uh, ability to raise prices is really the question. You think about this massive subscription number, and and it was massive. How sticky is that new subscriber base, right? So when things are when when we reopen the world, are we going to see um, big changes to that? And and it gets to your point of also how how sticky, but also how much can you charge for that? And I think. They probably maxed out for the near term. And so, I mean, it's an extraordinary company. They are so far ahead of all the competition, but there is competition. And it, even though it's fantastic, to me, it doesn't mean you pay any price for it no matter what. And at this valuation, is just so far out of my range that a great product, but can't get on board in the stock.
1: All right. Chairs are down up to about a half a percent right now. Let's bring in tech analyst Gene Munster, managing partner at Loop Ventures. Gene, great to have you with us. Uh, what's your take so far on the quarter?
7: Uh, Melissa, I'm always apprehensive about consensus thinking. And the panel, I am on the same page here and agree that, uh, well, a staggering number that this, the word of the day, is not their 15.8 million new paid set ads. The real word of the day is temporary. And in order for companies to grow into their valuation, they need to tap into an undeniable truth about the future. And when you think about Netflix and their valuation and where they're going, streaming is no longer an undeniable truth. We've already uncovered that years ago. Yes, Netflix is a leader. But at the end of the day, what's powering their business today is this is strong medication for shelter in place. And ultimately, is that as people experience that, they on the other side of this, the truth is they don't want to be in their home as much. And there are going to be services. uh, These types of services will see diminishing growth. Now, I want to emphasize two other aspects to this belief. I'm on the same page that the rest of the group is that this is overvalued here. But this can continue. They will likely be beating numbers for the next couple quarters because we're likely going to be in this place for some time. So think of the June quarter. They got to seven and a half million paid sub ads. It's probably going to be closer to 10. And the same thing will happen in September. So I think mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. as someone who's negative, I'm prepared that this will last for uh, this positive numbers right. will last. But I don't think the stock will respond.
1: Want to take a pause here. We do have some breaking news. We want to go straight to Washington, D.C. And Kayla Tosche, who has it, Kayla.
0: Melissa, good to see you again. The Senate has unanimously passed a half a trillion dollar relief package that would see the small business loan program expand by 300 plus billion dollars and about $100 billion provided to hospitals and testing resources to combat the coronavirus at the state and agency level. Now, many senators stood up and objected in principle to the size of the package or the process that was run on Capitol Hill with legislative text not even made available really before many of these senators had to cast their votes. But even so, Melissa, it was a unanimous vote that will tee up A vote in the House as soon as Thursday, and it will still be several days after that before small businesses can get this new money.
1: All right. Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tausche in Washington with the very latest. Some more relief there for small businesses potentially on the way. Uh, Jean, let's continue our conversation about Netflix. They did comment about liquidity, and they said that there's a, a $750 million unsecured credit facility that they have not yet tapped, and also that they have more than 12 months of liquidity. Julia had also mentioned that They're able, at least for the short term, to not spend as much on content simply because of the delays in production at this point. What is your sense uh, on the true liquidity position of this company?
7: Don't overthink it. They have an outsized uh, debt uh, portion. We're talking about in excess of $10 billion uh, to fund this content. And I think uh, whether you look at the near term or long term, Netflix is going to be around for a long time. But ultimately, they have fueled the growth of content from debt. And I think that that is an important differentiator between Netflix and the other FANG, uh, the other FANG stocks. And so uh, I, I, I think there'll be a coin concern. There's no question in my mind that Netflix is going to be around next year. I just think it's going to be, the stock will be uh, lower than it is today.
1: All right, Gene, thanks.
7: Gene Thank Munster,
1: Luke Ventures, uh, Guy Dami. we're seeing the stock move around a lot in the after hours. And when I say a lot, it was up 4% at one point right after the results, now down about 7 tenths of a percent. So what's your take here? What what will you be listening for on this video call tonight?
4: There's new methodology. A lot of free subs. When do free subs become paid subs? I mean, a lot of things that Gene brought up, I understand. And I understand why, if you've ridden this stock, there's absolute reason to take profit in the name. My My inclination is that's been true for a couple of years. They always seem to Pull rabbit out of the hat. They seem to have, once again, in terms of these ads, understanding the backdrop. I think you buy it against that previous all-time high, that July 2018 high of 419. And again, I would be worried. 385 had been this prior level out of trouble with. I'd be worried on a close below there. I just don't think... All things being equal, I'm not necessarily sure you're going to see that. But I've been wrong before, so we'll see what
1: happens. All right, again, that calls at 6 p.m. tonight. Breaking news meantime, on United Airlines, Phil LeBeau's got the story. Phil.
8: Hey, Melissa, this is a big secondary offering from United. 39.25 million shares. That's how many United will be offering in the secondary market, looking to raise just over a billion dollars. And the reason is very clear here. This is all about Building up as much liquidity as possible as United, and really all the airlines are in the same boat. They know that it's not just going to be a terrible second quarter. Summer is going to be bad. Third quarter is not going to be great. Fourth quarter, maybe they see a little bit of improvement in terms of demand. So they need as much cash on hand as possible. So again, United with a secondary offering, just over 39 million shares, it's going to price it somewhere in that 25 to 27 dollar range, and that will raise. Just over a billion dollars. Melissa, back to you.
1: Bill, just quickly. United, according to my tallies, they applied to borrow as much as four and a half billion dollars from the Treasury. They're getting five billion dollars in grants and loans under Treasury payroll, the PPP, and then they're also they've also raised two and three quarters billion dollars in debt. And then on top of all of that, a billion dollars now.
8: And most people expect not only with United but with all the airlines that we will see more of this. We have seen a steady amount of. Capital raise since February. In fact, I think Stiefel was out with a note. I want to say it was last week. They added up all of the capital raise since February. It comes up to something like $32, 33000000000 billion for the wow. airline industry, for the major airlines. And nobody believes that we're at the end of this yet, Melissa. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking at the airlines, remember, they have made this commitment as part of the CARES Act no major layoffs until September 30th. The idea when that CARES Act was passed was that. Look, these guys will have the money to pay the staff and then people will be flying again in the right. fall and then everything will be OK. Not many people are expecting a big jump in demand come September 30th.
1: All right. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau in Chicago for us. Karen Feinerman, you're a shareholder. What do you make of all this? Yeah.
6: I'm not. Oh, I actually not. Uh, okay. sold it. Uh, not a shareholder of the airlines, but no, <laughs> this is this is what happens when you go away, Melissa. But still, I understand why you did it. Um, I think that this is good for them. I mean, the stock's down just a little bit. I know it's going to be priced a little bit in the hole, maybe, you know, 3% or so. But for a billion dollars, I think that's pretty good. And, you know, you talked about the debt that they had raised. This is good for the debt, right? Any equity coming in below the debt is good. I think you got to do what you got to do. And, uh, I mean, I can't think of an industry you know, in more peril than this one. So good for them. And I agree with Phil also, you would expect others to come out and do something similar as well.
1: All right. We're just getting started here on Fast Money. We have got much more by ways of after hours action here that we're tracking. Up next, we'll break down the latest numbers from Chipotle, SNAP, and Texas Instruments. And later, more on today's MAGA Meltdown. We'll find out what sent these high flying tech names tumbling. Stay with us. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings triple play here. Snap, Texas Instruments, Chipotle all on the move after reporting results. We've got full team coverage standing by to break down all the big headlines. We kick things off with Kate Rogers and more on Chipotle's big quarter. Kate.
0: Hi, Melissa. Welcome back. Well, a solid first quarter for Chipotle with a beat on EPS. Revenues coming in right in line. Same store sales coming in at 3.3%. Now, digital continued to show strength up 81% for Q1, making up 26% of sales at $372 million. That's the highest quarter quarterly level ever. March digital sales alone were up about 100 percent year on year. Now, the majority of Chipotle's restaurants are open for to-go orders, which is allowing the company to build on the digital platform it's worked to create. Executives sounded really upbeat and noted this is important because digital customers are sticky and they tend to come back. Average daily sales in order ahead have also doubled since before COVID-19. The company's rewards program now has more than 11.5 million members, and daily sign-ups spiked 4x last month. The company also noted it has about 900 million dollars in cash, restricted cash, and short-term investments, and no debt. Adding, it believes it has enough cash to sustain for well over a year. Chipotle CEO Brian Nickel will join us exclusively on the exchange tomorrow. You won't want to miss that. And the stock is higher by just about six and a half percent right now. Melissa, back over to you.
1: All right, Kate. Thank you, Kate Rogers, with the latest on Chipotle. Tim, uh, let's go to you. What what struck me when reading some of the research notes on Chipotle ahead of the quarter is that Raymond James Mm -hmm. said that the company can maintain positive store level EBITDA in a down 40 to 50% comp environment and they've got a stellar balance sheet i mean it's it's pretty remarkable
5: it's remarkable. They, they definitely have operating leverage in their business. And, and if you think about uh, what the, how those restaurants are structured, th- there is an ability to keep a pretty lean team in there. If They're seeing uh, that kind of digital sales growth. Remember, digital sales were a driver to this multiple uh, as it kind of came back from the food scares of a couple of years ago. Higher ticket amounts, uh, bigger basket sizes and, and, again, digital sales and loyalty programs have been a driver for the multiple I've had trouble with this multiple. It would be tough for me to go in here and tell you that I love Chipotle after these numbers. Uh, I do think the market has rewarded this. Uh, and I think based upon expectations, this is a relief. Uh, but I don't think this is something you have to dive into.
1: Karen, can you get, get your head around this multiple here?
6: No, I feel like, uh, yeah, over and over. Great company. Look, at the, <laughs> the, it was very impressive. Two things they said that they, they think they'll hang on to the digital gains, which is fantastic and they think that there's fatigue in cooking, and I can guarantee you that is happening. Um, certainly in my house, but probably millions of others. So <laughs> I'm right there with Tim, great company. They're really impressive, but I can't get on board. I feel like it's priced to perfection, although they do seem to deliver perfection, but I can't do it.
1: All right, let's move on here. Snap shares, they're up uh, big time after reporting results. We get back to Julia Borson with all the details. Julia.
2: That's right. Snap shares soaring 21% in after-hours trading after reporting that it grew its users and its revenue faster than expected in the first quarter. Snap ending the first quarter with 229 million daily active users, growing by 11 million over the course of the quarter. And while Snap wouldn't give earnings guidance, it did say that second quarter revenue growth through April 19th is up 15%, and it expects the addition of around 10 million daily active users in the second quarter. CEO Evan Spiegel saying the company is benefiting from its shift to direct response ads, which now comprise over half of its revenue.
4: While many advertising budgets declined due to COVID-19, we experienced high revenue growth rates in the first two months of the quarter, which offset our lower growth in March. These high growth rates in the beginning of the quarter reflect our investments in our audience, ad products, and optimization, and give us confidence in our ability to grow revenue
7: over the long term.
2: Make sure to tune in tomorrow morning in Squawk Alley. I'll have an exclusive interview with Evan Spiegel. Melissa, back over to you.
1: All right, Julia. Thank you, Julia Borston. Dan Nathan, where do you stand on Snap? And are you concerned about declining ad, ad revenue trends, not just for Snap, but for a lot of the other online properties out there?
3: Yeah, I think it's more significant for the others. I think the ad spend dedicated towards a property like Snap is much smaller for most advertisers. I mean, I think it's important to remember this company is expected to do maybe $2 billion in sales this year. That's versus Facebook at 70. And it's actually growing over the last few years, slower than Facebook's been growing. So I just have a problem with, listen, this is a great company. Uh, Evan Spiegel's got this ship going in the right direction. But they're expected to do $2 billion in sales and on a gap basis lose a $1 billion in net income or or, or thereabouts. So I just have uh, an issue with the stock up 21%. I think that guide for Q2 on the revenue front was good. I think consensus was expecting low single digits. So they're basically confirming that those trends should continue through Q2. It just depends, again, how many of those new customers and the time that they're spending on the platform stick once things reopen. And I suspect that to decelerate as we get later into this year.
1: I mean, there's a huge caveat about that 21% pop in the after hours, and that is that 13% of the shares are are short. So, Tim, where would you stand on Snap? And are there things that you draw out from this quarter to some of the other earnings that we're expecting in the future?
5: Well, again, I, I think digital ad sales are, are probably uh, the good and the bad, as I think digital programs can be cut very quickly as well. But I think they've been a beneficiary here. Uh, the de- daily average users of I think they came in at 229 versus 224 and a half expected. Uh, this is very bullish. Uh, I, I think um, it, it's hard for me to feel like uh, all the structural and maybe even kind of uh, headwinds in terms of their audience were have changed overnight. Um, I think it's a company that, as Dan said, certainly the the ship has been righted. But, um, you know, the the ARPU growth and the DAU growth, very good, but all relative to expectations in a short interest base. So I'm not a buyer here, uh, but I do think the stock actually can move a bit higher.
1: We never defined ARPU, by the way. So bad on you, Tim. That's why I cued you before. Average Average (laughs) revenue per user. If we're uh, going to say it, then explain it.
5: Per user. Yes, our audience is so bright that I assume that they, they watch this over and over again. But, again, ARPUS, whether you're talking about a Twitter or whether you're talking about a, a mobile service, even Snap, yes, that is ARPUS. All right, thank you.
1: Thank you, Tim, for that. We want to round out our earnings triple play with Texas Instruments. The stock is higher by about 2% after hours. The chipmaker topping Wall Street estimates expanded its Q2 guidance range. Guy, this is interesting. Um, 64 to a dollar for a share. Uh, for the second quarter, $261 billion in revenue uh, to $3.19 billion. So it's a pretty wide guidance. Yeah. And the estimate, the consensus estimate, is within the range of the guidance that they give. So maybe that's the upside. But why do you think the stock's up 2%? Uh,
4: you know, I think, well, I think, well, I, that's a good question. I'm not really sure. The quarter was very good. If you look at the quarter in a vacuum, it was good. The concern has to be, you know, are people pulling forward concerned about supply chain disruptions in the future. I don't know the answer to that. What I'll tell you is, you know, in terms of the guide, revenue guide, three point one nine billion was the number. They basically took that and dropped it by, I don't know, down to two point six one to that number. Mm-hmm. And EPS is sixty-four to one oh four. Their previous guide was one hundred three. So I see what they're doing. You just have to get comfortable with the valuation. And you know, Texan at this price is trading basically Even if you give them the midpoint, you're talking about companies trading close to 23 times. I think it's expensive. So I think people are looking at the quarter saying it's good, which is why the stock is up. But I think if you sort of tear this down a bit... You have to say valuation is excessive, so I'd be more inclined to sell it here than buy it, Melms.
1: Karen, what do you do with a company that gives guidance like Texas Instruments is doing? I mean, I'm just curious because there's so many companies who are using this opportunity, right, to just withdraw guidance. And that seems like the safest thing to do because we don't really know how this is all going to shake out. So is this actually very positive that Texans is willing to give guidance that actually includes its previous estimate and street consensus? Or do you just say, you know what, that's fooey? I don't believe it at all.
6: <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe they have a little bit of confidence. There's more than a little bit of confidence. I think anyone who can withdraw guidance, and that's practically every business now, should. I never believed companies should give quarterly guidance anyway because I think it incents them to sort of you know, run their business to the number, maybe not what's best for the business in a longer term. So I think anyone who can should withdraw guidance and maybe keep it off, keep guidance off. We've seen a few companies do that we've seen walmart take away guidance we've seen uh, gm take away guidance that others give on a monthly basis or whatever it might be and uh, and they're not punished for it and they shouldn't be so i think everyone should do it dan
1: you had a quick comment
3: yeah i i totally disagree with that i mean i think as as uh private uh, citizens who are public investors, I think that how do you make decisions if your companies don't have the ability to give you um, some guidepost, some sense of visibility into their own businesses? I mean, you're essentially trapped in it. So I think companies should continue to give guidance. And, and in this environment, I think they should be water, rewarded for giving guidance.
1: All right. For more on all of today's big earnings movers, you can head on over to CNBC.com. Up next, more on the MAGA meltdown. We'll find out what sent some high-flying tech stocks crashing back to earth. And later, a big bright spot in today's sea of red, why investors were sinking their teeth into beyond meat, the juicy details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks selling off today, all three major indices closing deep in the red. The beloved tech sector leading the charge lower today. Check out what happened to the high-flying MAGA stocks. That would be, of course, Microsoft, Apple, Google, and Amazon, all falling hard in today's session. So, Dan, I know that you, you watch MAGA very closely. It's a key indicator. It's on your screen, lighting up every day. So what do you make of this meltdown? Mm-hmm.
3: Well, listen, you know, they obviously became a safety trade and they definitely led to the upside in the last few weeks as the market uh, made that bottom in March and rallied 30 percent off the lows. That's the S&P 500. The Nasdaq's um, outperformance has been astounding, but it can all be attributed to these four stocks when you think about Amazon is up 25% of the year, Uh, Microsoft is up high single digits, Apple and Google uh, are only down less than 10%. So you say to yourself, this is where people have been hiding out, they've been hiding out in monopolies, they've been hiding out with great balance sheets, they've been hiding out um, just with these massive moats that these companies have. And that's fine. I get it. These are companies are going to do far better in a sustained um, recession or a deeper recession than most of the other names in the S&P 500. point, something's got to give. And I suspect a day like today, if it were to start to snowball, that would be the thing where the consensus went from, oh, the bottom's in to, oh, maybe we're going to retest, especially when you see the devastation in so many other sectors in the S&P 500 aside of MAGA.
1: Tim, you're nodding your head. I, you, you agree with Dan? I, I, I always
5: agree with Dan. Not really, but sometimes. Um, I agree with him today. I I think you have a case where, uh, look, look at the underperformance of the triple Qs or the NASDAQ 100 relative to the S&P. All we talked about uh, was an outperformance by almost 1,300 basis points year to date. uh, And you have a case where actually over the last four sessions, roughly, uh, NASDAQ's underperformed by two and a half percent. Look at the small caps. uh, Sorry, look at the semiconductors. Look at the SMH, which is the ETF that tracks the semis. Uh, Today, you broke through the 200 and the 50. Uh, You have a bear cross for those people that care about that. So uh, I do think you have a case here where, where the market certainly priced a lot of these stocks up to key levels. Uh, you almost crescendoed this with everybody and their brother and sister upgrading Amazon. And, and I think you have to be a bit cautious. I remain uh, largely constructive on markets, but I don't think these stocks get away to the upside on you. Uh, and I don't think you have to jump in tomorrow.
1: Seems like a, a potentially dangerous setup going into earnings season, Karen.
6: Yeah, I mean, well, I find myself in the uncomfortable position of agreeing with everything that Dan said. But, you know, I do think if you look, at Alphabet right now is up <laughs> 2% after hours on the heels of Snap. I think that um, the market knows that advertising will be down, right? It's a question of how much. And then I don't know what kind of guidance we'll get. They're not super cheap here, Facebook and Google, um, but I don't think they're crazy expensive either. So uh, I'm a little concerned about earnings, but I'm not selling going into earnings. And I think we'll hear from both of them, Facebook and uh, Alphabet next week.
1: So I know a lot has changed since I've been, I was here before, but everybody agreeing with Dan? I mean, come <laughs> on. I mean, that, <laughs> that never happened, guy. Come on, guy. It's gone nuts. <laughs> so I'll
4: say, t- so I don't, I mean, I, you know, I love Dan and I love when everybody gets along. And by the way, it was Helen Hunt, not, Diane Keaton and I apologize to everybody my my view on Amazon was it was going to continue to rally into earnings on April 30th and at that point you pull the ripcord ahead I think it's going to wind up retesting the 2170 level which was the prior high that makes a lot of sense so I think you stick with it into earnings pull the ripcord ahead on the 30th and look for a pullback to 2170 Melms so I don't know if I'm agreeing with Dan or not and since I can't see him making, making, you know, the face at me, I'll just assume that he's in accord.
1: <laughs> he's smiling. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> Coming up, legendary hedge fund manager Michael Novogratz is with us. So why he says the worst may be over for the market, where he's finding the next big opportunity. And later, more on The crude Collapse, why options traders are betting this major oil company could fall 10% by the end of the week. We'll tell you the name when Fast Money Returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The epic collapse in energy prices, uh, taking down stocks for a second straight day. Oil falling another 36 percent. And check out the collapse in the USO oil ETF, losing a quarter of its value. That's just today. Your next guest says this historic drop is not done. Let's bring in Michael Novogratz, the founder of Crypto Fund Galaxy Digital. He's also a former macro hedge fund manager at Fortress Investment Group. Uh, Mike, great to have you with us. Great to speak with you.
9: And welcome back, and congratulations.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, I want you to put your old hat on <laughs> as a hedge fund trader um, in this sort of market environment, where do you see oil going, and what would be your next move if you were if you were still trading commodities?
9: Listen, so I think the oil move uh, is important for a bunch of reasons. One, it shows just how much demand destruction we've had uh, right I mean oil trading to zero or through zero. But just as importantly, when major markets break and the oil market broke yesterday, right, trading to negative 40, $40, and it broke again today with the, the June contract collapsing and hyper volatility, uh, it sends a message that something's not right. Uh, I remember in 08, everyone thought swap spreads could ne- ne- never go negative, and 30-year swap spreads just a few weeks ago were minus 80 basis points. And so you have these paradigm shifts, and markets aren't prepared for that yet. And so I think, listen, we had had a huge rally off the lows in stocks. Everyone got kind of, okay, we're gonna get out of this thing at one point. Uh, two bad days in a row. My sense is the stock market's gonna trade heavy for a while. Uh, and the commodity, the, 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 the crude market will trade heavy. You know, will it go through zero again? I'm not sure. A lot of this was USO, uh, USO, the ETF was all in the front-month contract, which was trading at a huge discount. Uh, they basically, uh, halfway through the day today or close to the end of the day, said, the old USO doesn't exist anymore. We're going to kind of recreate this product and, and, and remake it and, and roll out at least two-thirds of the, the exposure to the next couple contracts. And so I think part of the volatility today was just that ETF getting crushed. Uh, What's a little bit sad is if you look at the big buyers of that ETF over the last three days, you know, you can look on Robinhood, Robinhood and all the retail platforms, retail piled into this ETF at the exact wrong time. Uh, And so I think a lot of the pain was actually retail, not professional.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the problem with the structure of these sorts of instruments that rely on, on futures contracts. Michael, just more broadly, you know, if you're somebody who normally trades futures contracts, is this sort of throw doubt I mean do you do you start thinking you know does this futures market will, will we see this paradigm shift as you call it or a broken market happen in other commodities
9: I think there's a possibility I mean you, know, you look at the corn market and if you look at a corn chart you know three dollars has been support for a long time it tested it today it bounced out at the end of the day uh, corn is 35 percent of US corn production goes to ethanol you know <laughs> crude collapses ethanol prices aren't going higher and so you could see the corn market get whacked. And next thing you know, we're going to be talking about farmers and needing to subsidize farmers. Uh, and so there's, what it does tell you is to open your mind to things that you didn't think could happen might happen. And so there's just an increase of volatility, potential volatility out there. And it's not going to go away for a while until we kind of, you know, renormalize the economy, which looks like it's, you know, six months at best.
1: Are you getting the itch? I mean, we know now that you're focusing on cryptocurrencies and the opportunities there specifically, but are you getting the itch to step in and take advantage of some of these potential breaks in markets? Oh, I always,
9: I always trade. Uh, I have two hats. I have a macro portfolio uh, <laughs> and I trade it as, as aggressively as uh, I ever have. And then I have the crypto business. And, you know, they're very much linked. I think crypto right now, hard assets, so gold. I have a big position in gold, a very big position in Bitcoin. Uh, I think Bitcoin has this moment right now where, just today, we did another half a trillion dollars of stimulus, just money growing on trees. And my mother taught me when I was young, money doesn't grow on trees. And so as we have more and more just fiscal uh, stimulus, being monetized by the central bank, more and more people I talk to want to find something with scarcity. Uh, there are only 21 million Bitcoins ever going to be mined. Eighty-seven percent of them have already been mined. Uh, next month, the inflation rate gets cut in half. And so there's a really good story. And the problem we've had up until now has been one of adoption. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, I am seeing more and more people starting to buy it, calling me up, wanting to learn about it. And so my sense is you're going to have the macro tailwind plus the adoption tailwind happening in, in Bitcoin. Gold already has its story. Uh, it's going to put new highs in this year. Uh, and so I think that's a really powerful story uh, that, you know, policymakers are going to continue to play into.
1: So you said you're trading your macro portfolio as hard as you ever did. What exactly are you doing? I mean, you say so the gold's going to go high. Know, it sounds like
9: you're long gold. So I, I'm still long gold. I've been shorting stocks the last, you know, the last week. Uh, I don't think we're going to have a collapse of the market again. You know, one of the things that was unique to this this collapse uh, versus say '08 was that by the time we bottomed at whatever 2180, uh, I call it the Bill Ackman bottom, uh, the liquidation was almost complete. Partly because the Fed provided so much liquidity, people, if they wanted to sell, could sell. Uh, in '08, I had tons of mortgage that I wanted to sell; there was no bid. And it, so you never really got yourself flat to where you wanted to be. Here, anyone who wanted to get out could get out because the Fed literally put so much you know foam on the runway.
1: But you're still short and the market despite all I of this. I am because
9: listen because we bounced we bounced 35 40 percent and some mm-hmm. stocks bounced 100 percent. So I now think we're going to trade soggy. I think we could trade back to 2600. It's more of a trading market. I don't think we put in new lows. Uh, the liquidation was complete. There's not that much stock for people to sell, uh, but. The economy stinks and it's going to stink for a while. Uh, And so, you know, fundamentals will weigh on the market. So I kind of think we're, you know, a 2,200, 3,000 range on the wide. And in the tighter range, we're probably 2,900, 2,600. And so I sold a bunch up top and I'll buy them back at 2,600 and look for other opportunities uh, in, in commodities and currencies.
1: All right. Michael, great to speak with you. Thanks for your time. You as well. Michael Novogratz, Guy Dami, we go to you. How do you trade that?
4: Gold, absolutely. I'm with Novo on this one, and I think he's spot on. I mean, I'm sure if BK were here, we'd talk about the Bitcoin, but I'll talk about gold, and it's fascinating. You know, you saw what happened in the May contract yesterday in terms of crude oil. It's because people were long and they had no place to store it if they, got, if, they, if they had to take delivery. So that's why things happen there. And quite frankly, there's a really good chance it happens again with June. With that said, what if everybody was long gold and they said, you know what, I want delivery. Think about that for a second. And if the COMEX or whomever was unable to make those deliveries. So I think the gold market sets up extraordinarily well here when you have central banks pouring fuel on this fire, trying to torch their currencies. We're now $17 trillion or thereabouts in negatively yielding bonds. So I'm with Novo on the gold trade for sure. It almost
1: sounds like that you're saying that the futures market, the people are going to... Um, I don't want to say figure out that it's not real, but, uh, but that, that there are pitfalls with this futures markets, right? I mean, people were dumping oil because they didn't want to take physical delivery. You're saying that people might want physical delivery of gold, and they might not be able to get it. So what good is that contract?
4: <clears throat> well, we're going to find out, aren't we? It's going to be interesting to see what happens. I'm, I'm fascinated to see if the opposite happens in the gold market in, in terms of what we saw in the crude oil market. And I'm not suggesting it will I'm just fascinated to see if that's a plausible uh, scenario going forward. Because I think what we learn in these situations are sometimes you actually want the commodity and other times you don't want the commodity. And I think we're going to be on both ends of that, of that spectrum. And I think gold is the far end of the crude oil spectrum.
1: All right. Coming up, hungry for gains. Look no further than Beyond Meat. The stock rallying almost 50% in just the past month. Should you bite more on that ahead. Plus, talk about Fast Money. The recent work from home boom is shares of Equinix soaring. The company's CEO will join us next. Welcome back to Fast Money. One big beneficiary of the work from home boom has been data center company Equinix. Shares are up more than 30% in just the past month, outpacing the S&P 500 this year. Let's bring in Charles Myers, the CEO of Equinix. Charles, great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us.
10: Thanks, Melissa. Welcome back. Good to be with you.
1: Uh, Thank you. Uh, The stock actually hit its 52-week high just last week. So there's a lot of expectation that this sort of work-from-home boom and the need for for more bandwidth and and the ability to work from other places will continue. Can you walk us through, you know, if you're building a new data center, how many more uh, servers will fit in there? How many more homes or businesses could that serve? How should investors think this boom through when it comes to translating that into your expansion?
10: Yeah, I mean, I think that the work from home sort of massive experiment we've been forced into here is just one piece of a much bigger picture around the demand for digital, which I think is really a very prevalent trend and and an incredibly durable one. And uh, if you look at our platform, I often refer to our platform as sort of the engine room of the digital economy. Um, Some of the most important digital infrastructure assets in the world live inside of our data centers, uh, 210 of them in 55 markets uh, around the world. Comprising about 10 million square feet of technical space. So if you if you think about that, or in, try to envision it, is 173 football fields put end to end, all filled with uh, networking, compute, storage gear, um, fueling every big digital brand you can think of, and uh, so tons of capacity going into serving the uh, the digital demands of the uh, of the of the world.
1: Um, You recently indicated that customers are are planning to accelerate spending right now in order to to meet their needs. How should investors think about this acceleration in spending, particularly when it comes from the enterprise segment, which is about 18 percent of your revenues, um, in the context of a slowdown globally?
10: Yeah. Yeah, I'd say it's a bit of a balance, uh, you know, a bit of a mixed message or a mixed uh, bag in that I think what we're seeing is certainly an increase from some of our service provider customers who are seeing some acute demands on their infrastructure and they're looking to increase capacity, you know, and those are service providers, the likes of WebEx, for example, um, uh, the Cisco unit, uh, uh, video conferencing unit which we've been helping, you know, scale their their capacity. Zoom, a big customer of ours, uh, all the networks, AT&T, Verizon, et cetera, uh, they're scaling their capacity. And so we're seeing, you know, near-term demands from them. Uh, In the enterprise market, I think we are seeing that people are really thinking uh, hard about their digital transformation strategy and realizing what an imperative it is for them. Um, But I do think every business is going to be impacted. So you see, I think, some slowing in enterprise sales cycles, but but um, but i think they're going to remain very committed to their to their digital transformation strategies
1: so you think your customers are are committed in terms of you mentioned digital transformation that that bucket of money is sort of teflon even in this environment
10: very much so. I think that I think it's very much protected and I think that in some cases, I think they're going to look to continue to add to that. Now, I think even in that dynamic, um, there's going to be winners and losers in sort of the overall digital picture. Um, but, you know, we, we really like our story in that I think we represent something that is enabling customers to implement hybrid and multi cloud as their architecture of choice, really allowing them to connect their infrastructure to the major cloud providers around the world um, and, uh, and really meet, uh, meet their needs.
1: All right, Charles, great to speak with you. Thank you.
10: Thanks. Great to be here.
1: All right. Charles Meyer, the CEO of Equinix. Coming up, more crude realities as options traders see a double-digit drop for this big oil name. We're drilling down straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Crude oil settling at its lowest level ever today. And over in the options market, traders are betting one of the biggest oil companies on the planet could drop double digits by the end of this week. Mike Coe's got the options action. Hey, Mike.
4: Hi there. BP, which is already trading at 25-year lows and is due to report earnings next week, had some options traders making bearish bets ahead of that. It traded 10 times the average daily put volume, over 100,000 put contracts, and almost all of that volume was concentrated in the weekly 20 strike puts. Over 80,000 of those ultimately traded for just under 45 cents a contract. Betters, options traders are betting that it's going to fall below that 20 strike price by at least a the premium they paid. That would represent a more than 10 percent decline by the end of this week.
1: Ten percent. Mike, thank you. Uh, Dan Nathan, I don't know if you saw that action or, or any other action in some of the crude stocks.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, when you think about it, you know, the risk reward right now for making those sorts of bets into events where you might get some adverse, uh, you know, financial information about, uh, you know, dividend coverage, that sort of thing makes some sense. And you, you might also see um, a lot, especially with these dividends, as fat as they are, you may see some people just hedging long stock positions at this point. So I, I would expect to continue to see that over the next few months.
1: Hmm, Dividend reductions, Tim, just yesterday you were. Saying- you're saying that some of these companies, <laughs> you know, would protect their dividend pretty much at all costs.
5: Yeah. 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 And I, I think it's a case where BP and RDS are two I'd be concerned about. The perception of asset sales is very important for BP. Uh, I don't think Chevron has that issue. I don't think Exxon does. But those two European integrateds have issues.
1: All right. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, Final Trades. let's go around the horn karen feinerman
6: yes i'm going with alphabet the one that brought (laughs) me to the dance i know we're going to see advertising revenue down but i think we're also going to see some good youtube numbers valuation's not bad
1: tim seymour
5: jan jay has been a v-shaped recovery i think you take some profits here in a great company you'll buy it lower
1: dan nathan
3: yeah, snap. Good good quarter in a bad environment, but I'm not buying it up 20%. I'd sell it.
1: Guy Adami.
4: I'm gonna put on that Tiger Cub thing and, and watch me some Netflix there, Melms.
1: That Carol Baskin, I mean, that's I mean the whole thing is just unbelievable. Bad, <laughs> yeah. Terrible, awful. Thank you for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow night at five. Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now.